Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash, or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the With us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the day before April Fool's Day. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's old, old Van Helsink. With me, my co-host, that jovelant, jovelant good chap from Wales, the ghost ended and ghost hunting the most reputable Steve Parsons. Good evening on this very auspicious day for the United Kingdom. Why? Because we're out of lockdown. The oh, government announced it? an uh, hour ago. Uh, uh, you sure it's not an April Fool's joke? You know, it's five hours. Let's see. Five plus. Oh, it's only 11. So I guess not. Okay. <laughs> You're good. No, it wasn't. <clears throat> no, it wasn't April Fool. Um, uh, <clears throat> yeah. No. Yeah, good evening. So uh, do I. Any idea how April Fools came about? Uh, no. I, I mean, I don't expect you no. to know. I just, I no, just, I, actually, I, I don't. Um, I don't either. But, I was just like sitting here. Like, but I do yeah. remember that it only you're only allowed to do it up to midday. Oh, really? Well, I'm not yeah. in the States. <clears throat> no, it only lasts in the UK. It only lasts until midday. And there's a rhyme that goes with it that says April Fool has been and gone and you're the fool who carries on. I like that one. <laughs> and that's if you try and pull a prank after midday. That's funny. So I'm I'm uh, Googling uh, where did April Fool <laughs> come from? Oh, where did April Fool begin? All right. So let me Google that. That's what happened with curiosity. Mm. How do you know okay. that the how do you know that the wiki entry isn't an April Fool? I know. <laughs> <laughs> 
In the Netherlands, I don't know why it says the Netherlands, uh, the origin of April Fool is often attributed to the Dutch victory at 1572 in Barel, where the Spanish Duke Alvarez de Toledo was defeated on April 1st. Holy crap. Filor Alvazinbril <laughs> is a Dutch proverb which can be translated on the 1st of April. Alvaro lost his glasses. What the frick is that? <laughs> Do you know what always gets me? You, what? You, you always seem to, um, by luck or judgment, pick yeah, people. Bad judgment, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, pick pick entries with unpronounceable European names. I, don't, I know. I don't know. How do you do it? I think it's you know. You know, I have a I have a theory. You know, I mean, I don't believe in reincarnation, but if I did, I have two theories. First of all, I must have been a thief in my last night because I've, you know, I've cut off my fingers and everything. I mean, I'm constantly destroying my fingers. So that's, that's the first one. And the second one is that, uh, you know, I must have, uh, you know, blasphemed the Lord or something before, because <laughs> he's certainly screwed me up with this one. Or it could, uh, be, or it could be because the, the spiritualists tell us that we're here to learn a lesson. So maybe last yeah, time around... I don't you, know what you, the hell my lesson is. <laughs> well, maybe last time around, you, you, you were fluent in 35 languages and were... A... Mm. Yeah. Okay, I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. So uh, one theory of April Fool's Day began... <clears throat> and a pianist. Yeah, 1582, yeah, after Pope Gregory VIII ordered the Gregorian calendar replaced with the Julian calendar. That meant that the New Year's Day got moved in France from April 1st to January 1st that year. Uh, when the people of France continued to celebrate uh, the New Year in April, no, no, either, through, That's wrong. Either, through, either through ignorance or the refusal to accept the new calendar, the French must be ignorant. Uh, they were teased by those calling them April Fools. That's no, what I mean, this. that one must be wrong because this is um, a Newsweek article, which is yeah. Pretty but cool. I mean, it, it, there's a problem there because they said that April the first and uh, January the first, blah blah. But I mean, that's uh, three months. The, the the calendar shift is actually about sixteen days because we were also affected by it because it affects our calendar too. We also did the Gregorian Julian switch. Yeah, but you didn't um, do it till 1752. Doesn't matter. It's only 16 day switch. So it can't be three months. So that can't be right. According to another one, uh, April Fools began in the 13th century when the residents of Gotham uh, began acting crazy in order to scare King John's men who had come to town to assess whether the king would acquire the land and turn it into hunting grounds. And that's well, according to I'm sure Historic Batman would UK. Had, I'm sure Batman would have had something to according say about According to that. Historic UK. Yeah. Yet another disputed exactly. theory is is that mm. uh, Gregory <laughs> shot Chaucer's book, uh, Canterbury know. Tales, in 1392. The uh, controversy is over what Chaucer really wrote and whether it can be directly lent to April Fool. You know what this is, um, what all this is leading to? I have no clue. Exactly. And nor do they. Evidently. I'm reading this stuff. Yeah. I mean, there are, everybody's got a theory. Huh. Yeah, there's a line. Funny enough, April 30, March 32nd, which 
there yeah. is no March 32nd, no, so they figured that was the April Fool's, yeah. so I have no clue. But, um, yeah, we were trying to explain, because um, it's Easter weekend, um, and we were trying to explain to the boys that, you know, how how certain dates are fixed in the calendar. Yeah. Um, you know, they understand Christmas. Christ was born. You know, it's his birthday. But they can't understand the fact that the... Um, the Romans couldn't remember when they crucified Jesus. So we have to sort of keep moving Easter forwards and backwards every few years. Yeah, know. it depends on what it is. Easter exactly. The, yeah, Greek, it's the, thir and, the third full the... moon after the fourth Friday on the eclipse of the anniversary of Well, it some depends feast. on, you know, the Greeks celebrated <laughs> at a certain time. And, you know, they, everyone's different. Yeah, it's, you but, know. I mean, you know, the Romans kept meticulous records. Yeah. Okay. You know, we one would have thought that you know, like Wednesday the seventeenth of um, I, the the Ides of March, you know, nailed that bastard Jesus to the cross, troublemaker. Mm. <clears throat> Did you ever see the uh, Monty Python's Life of Brian? Yes, many many I times. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love he's the end of it. Slave, he's a very naughty boy. Yeah, I love the end of it when, <clears throat> they're, on, when they're on the cross. Oh, tell you what, <clears throat> but, very very um sort of. Nautical news, not an April Fool, um, yes. because as you know, we, I live in West Wales, which yeah. is 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 about you know it's several degrees further north than where you are in Boston, mm -hmm. uh, New England. But you know you're at a level of about Portugal, um, but we have the Gulf Stream, so we don't have you know we don't have very cold weather and you know sea and stuff like that so <clears throat> we have a walrus yeah he was she was sighted in ireland about 10 days ago and so... at, and then uh, about five days later appeared off our coast and everybody <clears throat> it was like an open secret because um the photographs that were appearing weren't revealed I mean, everybody locally knew where it was um but you know they were saying oh no we've got to protect it we don't want hordes of people going down to see this walrus they might frighten it or they might hurt it or they might <clears throat> anyway um we were taken out of well back one step from lockdown which meant that we were the five mile restriction on travel was lifted and uh, this was of last weekend and on the very first day when people could travel um, naturally a lot of people headed to the coast because they were allowed to it's perfectly legal to do so um and then right on the on the launch ramp of the life of the rnli lifeboat in the middle of our biggest seaside resort the walruses set up camp so now everybody knows where the bloody thing is. <laughs> we were keeping, we were told to keep it secret. You know, newspapers and radio stations were removing pictures or posts that gave away its its um, location, and then it rocks up in front of twenty thousand holidaymakers. Anyway, it's still there, um, and today it's managed to sink a fishing boat. What? Uh, <clears throat> well, a walrus isn't a small thing. I know, but how's this like <clears throat> a fishing boat, my dear? It, well, it's not the world's biggest fishing boat, but the, the walrus decided it was going to climb onto the fishing boat and get out of the water for a little while for a bask. Oh, okay, uh, now I understand. And, and, and basically flattened the boat. 
right, now it's dead. <coughs> so, see this um, trawler going down and all of a sudden being well, attacked by the wall. Well, there's a photograph doing the rounds because um, it sank. The, the fishing boat it sank was about twelve foot long. Um, it was a dinghy. you know a low, yeah a big dinghy. Yeah. Uh, but th- but then it it was seen boarding or trying to board the tail ramp of a trawler. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's still there. So call it, call it Japanese, they'll <clears throat> they'll get rid of it for you. About sure, they eat walrus along with everything else that they can get the answer. Because ordinarily, this Arctic species of walrus um, normally never comes any further south than Greenland or Spitsbergen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the, but it it's actually looking at the videos of it, I was sort of thinking to myself, um, kind of a bit like a sea monster. This great brown, because it's huge. It's about the size of a bull. Yeah, I mean they they can get pretty big. Yeah, oh, this one, this yeah. You ever see three a years it's, old? It's pretty freaking amazing. Yeah, I mean this one's about three years old, so it's not uh-huh. fully grown yet. But it is, yeah. you know. I mean we've got seals. We've got a native population of seals, yeah. which are about the size of a Labrador dog. Um, but then this thing rocks up, and it's like eight feet long, mm. and big enough to sink a boat. Oh, he's the king now. <clears throat> she. He, she, whatever. Well, the, the, they only finally figured out the sex of it today. Um, Does it have tusks? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, thought, but, I thought the males had tusks. In them, no, the both males didn't. and females, apparently. Um, really? You so, sure on this, this? I'm 100% sure because we had a marine uh-huh. biology expert um talking to us you know on the press about it saying that um because up until now everybody had been calling it wally the walrus right and he was saying no both species you know both genders have um all 11 genders of walrus have tusks um and this is a female walrus so they've been renaming it to wallina the walrus now but yes they do so we're gonna go and I'm going to try and see for it for, see it for myself in the next few days. Excellent. Female uh, <coughs> walrus, walruses do have tusks. However, unlike the male's tusks, the female tusks are usually shorter and slightly thinner, too. Mm. I think that's, how, have I think that's how they determined its gender in the end. Yeah, because of the size of them. Yeah. Because it's... Size, size matters then, right? Well, it does if you're a walrus. Evidently. <laughs> and And... As I've just put onto um, the Ghost Chronicles Facebook page, Nessie is um, yeah Nessie. Remember Nessie? <clears throat> been a busy, been a very busy girl. Um, she's on her fourth sighting. This is um, there's a reputable sightings or oh yeah, I mean this is from a webcam that's on one of well one of the oh webcams. yeah because they do have webcams on the uh, thing um, and I, I watched the footage it lasts about a minute minute and a half um and this most recent sighting there was is that one... link on us a website of the footage yeah 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 oh sweet it's from the... it um and it actually is fairly good you know there is there is re- there is there's definitely something there yeah, uh, I don't want to comment on it because I haven't seen it, but uh, yeah. I mean, it, there is, there's yeah. definitely, I mean, you know I know Loch Ness. Um, yeah, you, you actually uh, spent some time on the, on the live. And, and weird, weirdly, um, about three weeks ago, I did a, I did a webinar uh, on the Loch Ness Monster. And it seems that that's, no <laughs> that way. started the ball rolling. Um, we've had the Loch Ness Monster 
um, popping up. So there you go. Check that one out because I, I, you have I, an interesting I scene. It was a documentary on it, so it goes back to me. Yeah, because you, <laughs> I, I remember in 2019, um, we worked a little segment of a documentary mm-hmm. uh, that you're working on. Although it was suspended because of the virus, I hope to get back to it this year. I've got some eyewitnesses, and yeah, it's uh, it's on sea serpents and lake monsters, so it's it's generalized. It's not just one because I have a theory that, you know, they they are related. So, but anyways, that's another. Well, story. I, I I I I fully subscribe to that because I got asked during the webinar, um, you know, like what's my belief, what's my personal take on it, having been up there, you know, and. and spoken to people and seen the place and um and i think it's i think yes i think it's credible and i think that there's a very strong possibility um but i i do think it's an eel and that was backed up by the dna survey Um, uh not really it's more a dna survey of the water yeah well i was gonna i was gonna explain that um because, I mean, I have my idea about an eel. It wasn't an original idea of mine, but, you know, for probably the last decade. Um, and uh, they did, um, in 2019, uh, 18, they started this this DNA survey of the loch. And what they were doing... Was, was that from the sealing or something? Yeah, they were sampling the water. And then nowadays they can they can sift the water for DNA and then tell you what's living there. And they said... Absolutely, it cannot be and never has been a sturgeon because there is no sturgeon DNA in Loch Ness. They did discover two new species of fish that they didn't know were in Loch Ness, including the uh, Arctic salmon. Um, But what they found, they found, I think, 16 or 17 percent of unknown DNA, um, DNA that they they, um, weren't able to identify. Exactly um so there's there's hope there for the monster hunters they didn't find any dinosaur dna yeah i, I don't believe that there <clears> anyways by the way but they did find an extraordinary amount and i know this from seeing underwater video footage yeah of eel I, dna yes um, and i know that there's a huge population of eels in the lock oh it's 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 extraordinary i've seen yeah. look i've seen video, I've seen video of it yeah yeah um I, we on one of our visits, we we were up there with a uh, guy called Dick Rayner. Now Dick was part of the original Loch Ness Investigation Bureau. He he went up there as a young young man. Uh, you and know Mary this... loves Dick, right? <clears throat> Sorry, you know Mary loves Dick, right? Yeah. Um. So and then that was my tribute to my friend Akura. <clears throat> like a lot of people, um, he you're ignoring he... me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> kind of fell in love with the area and, and spent the rest of his life up there. He's a member of the um, Coast Guard. Yes. Uh, he he has a boat on the loch called uh, Nessie Hunter. Okay. Um, and he's he's kind of devoted his whole life to the monster. And he shot a, some video footage back in 67, I think, 66, 67. So, you know, over 50 years ago. Um, that is of something moving at speed through the water. Um, he's questioned it himself on a number of occasions subsequently, but 
it had him hooked but we went out with him on his boat and he was very gracious and he he was at the time developing an underwater camera system um and we were assisting because there was a member of our group um who owns a security lighting specialist Are we talking yeah okay um one of our members at the time owned a company that made military and security light specialist lighting so you know very high high level sort of high grade led stuff infrared and and um we were helping dick with an underwater lighting system because in loch ness the water is so peaty and so brown it's like it's like looking at the tea you're drinking and um you know because you always drink tea you must be psychic except Obviously, Loch Ness doesn't have milk in it. Uh, uh, you are psychic. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we saw these video fo- uh, video footage. You know, this is taken at you know in Urquhart Bay, mm-hmm. uh, n- near the famous castle, and uh, where the water's about only 150 feet deep, and then right out into the 800 foot depths of Loch Ness. Um, and it's like looking at seagrass it's like looking at a forest of grass there are that many eels down there wow it is just literally and eels are also um cannibalistic and uh somebody said you know one of the old theories used to be that uh oh there, there can't be a, a a large creature in loch ness there's not enough food which <laughs> is She's one of the, you know, you, you often hear the skeptics say that. Yeah, there isn't yeah, food exactly. to sustain the monster. Yeah, Joel, Joel Nichols would say huh. that. Well, you know, the response is, what if, well, it's two responses. One, it could eat eels. There's plenty of eels around. Yeah. Or two, it might be a Vegisaurus. <laughs> I like that one better. A Vegisaurus. <laughs> you know, it might not, you know, it might be a vegan. It might yeah. not eat meat at all in which case maybe it went vegan you never know yeah i mean it it has no need you know there is plenty of food in the loch to sustain a population um you know they don't have to eat fish right so there you go yeah i think that's i think i think what you're dealing with is an eel about 15 to 20 feet long now, given the population, given that only eight miles away at the other end of the River Ness is a large population of conger eel, which can easily get to that length. And interestingly, conger eel, which is a saltwater species, can, um, I'm reliably informed by those that know, can actually uh, survive and uh, adapt to uh, for, for periods of time into fresh water. Yeah. So, sharks can do that. We have sharks that they can do that. Yeah. So there have been sharks attacks up the river in New Jersey. Yeah. So uh, given, yeah. given several, you know, several tens of thousands of years of evolution, because that's when Loch Ness raised it, split itself up from the North Sea um, after the after the Ice Age, ten thousand years ago. That's plenty of time for a trapped, you know, colony of conger eel to acclimatize and to customize themselves to living in fresh water. Is has the uh, salinity of the water ever been uh, classified? Oh yeah, I mean it, it, it's very uh, interestingly. Um, Loch Ness is about fifty or sixty feet above uh, sea level, 
so right. it's higher than you know it flows down from uh, through the river ness to the north sea mm-hmm. um so there is no salt water in loch ness okay um you know because i was but, one of the theories as well there was an underground passage yeah, well, look, from the sea well in the webinar i actually talked about that because you know they talked about you know um old theories from the 1930s that there were yeah. caves and tunnels in the side of loch ness and then it could yep. the, the monster could nip in and out the problem is so would loch ness um because yeah loch, exactly would drain. Loch, <laughs> yeah loch ness would drain into the north sea yeah. um and leave it quite a i mean it would still be quite deep because loch ness is still twice the depth of the north sea oh wow. um so you know the the is north sea, really i never thought it was that deep and wow, it's that's... deeper yeah um <laughs> the north sea on average is about 400 feet deep mm-hmm. um whereas loch ness at its deepest points uh has an average depth of about 780 feet wow so so you would still have um a substantial body Good of water puddle. yeah but it wouldn't be anything like as big as it was now um so so the idea of it swimming in and out through tunnels is a is a bit bit of a dead duck mm. uh, but fascinating nonetheless and i think i think you know we will i i i really do believe that probably in the next decade um we will oh, science sure. science will find an answer to the loch ness monster oh that's a good that's a way for a good science will find an answer you know that i mean there's a lot of, i mean cryptozoologists they always you know quote that uh the find of the uh uh oh i can never why do i always get these freaking words cycle whatever that stupid prehistoric fishes they brought up the, uh, the coelacanth yeah thank you very much and uh i guess they were able to do some dna testing on it and it's oh, not yeah. really uh, it's not very old <laughs> <laughs> no, well, but the thing is, it's still, still that fish. But what it has is, it's a that fish which has evolved. So yeah. that makes sense. So, you know, it, I I think you're dealing with some type of a creature that has evolved through the years. And, and I think uh, and we we all, and there is a a prime candidate. It looks like the Loch Ness monster. You know, it's always described as serpent-like, about the size of horsefish. And so I think we're dealing with a big conga. Okay, the conga. But the the oarfish is another one that's it's. Yeah, uh, but there's no there was no oarfish DNA found. Still yeah, no, no, I'm not. I'm. Yeah, I know you're you're talking specifically about knockless. Oh, but sorry. I'm sorry. About sea servants in general. My, although, my... although that one off um, Gloucester. Yeah. Um. You know, that doesn't sound like a conga. No, it doesn't. Anyways, uh, we are coming up to the break, so we we have to take a break right now. Fascinating. Are... That New England one. Yeah, yeah. This I've got some of the early records, and it's amazing. In fact, some of the research that was done by the uh, Harvard University, they sent a, a team out to investigate it. Anyways, we do have to go. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles uh, International right here, the first hour of two hours of Ghost Chronicle Radios with uh, Ron Kolick and Steve Parson, right here on Tojanet and Pararex Radio, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street in North Andover, Massachusetts. And our very, very, very good friends on Patreon who help support this show and keep it coming. And you can, too, become a member of Patreon. So uh, check out the page, Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon, and uh, help us out. So see you right after the break.
Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Welcome to part two of the first part, figure that one out, of Ghost Chronicles International, because coming up is Ghost Chronicles The Next Generation. So it would be second quarter, uh, I guess. I bet. Anyway, I so guess. this is the, the second half of the first half. That's so confusing. <laughs> well, it's nearly April the 1st. Anyways, uh, I was thinking of you today because I was watching this uh uh, documentary on on uh, hauntings and was it uh, called Ghosts of the London Underground? No, oh. no, it had nothing to do with Britain. It was all U.S. Uh, and they had various people on trying to explain it away. It's a, it's actually a kind of a neat show. I don't know if you had it over there. It's called Weird or what? Uh, it's uh, Shrat- no, Shatner. So. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know the he, one. Yeah. He does it. Yeah, he. It, it's it, it, of course. You know, it's good because I like it because they, they, they give it to you from all the different angles, which are it's it's kind of mm-hmm. neat. But anyways, one of the uh, the uh, guys up there uh, who was a, an expert, uh, according to the him, uh, was talking about <clears throat> ghost uh, hauntings are caused by infrasound. Oh right, and that's something what something that I know more than a little yeah. about. So he, he quoted uh, he quoted um, Tandy and Lawrence. He was talking about the Tandy and Lawrence mm-hmm. experiment. Are you familiar with that? Very familiar with that. So what, I'd, rather than me just try to muddle through and tell okay, me what well, the show well, does. Well, ba- basically, um, Vic Tandy, uh, sadly he's passed away now, um, was an engineer. And he he worked in a university uh, engineering department. And um, he was also a keen fencer. So on um, one particular occasion, he needed to, he had a competition coming up, a fencing competition. Yeah, okay, now you're getting ahead of yourself a little bit. No, I'm not. Yeah, because th- this whole thing started because they were doing an experiment in a uh, chamber uh, underground, I believe it was. Uh, no, I it was... no, 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 no. Don't get into the fencing part because that's the end of it. No, no, no. The fencing is the very beginning of it. No, it's the end of it. 
I'm sorry. Who's doing a PhD in infrasound? You and I don't care who's doing it. I've got to tell you how the story I've goes. Got the, I've got his original notes here. Don't tell me the order of how, what happened. He's in, he's in his workshop fixing the rapier foil. And he noticed that the blade, as he fastened it into the vice, is vibrating. Now, previously, there had been a number of untoward incidents in that workshop where people said that they didn't like the atmosphere and it felt a bit spooky and that they there felt There you go. Watched. Okay. So, so yeah, you put these in first. When Why didn't saw, you talk about what was going when on? When he beginning? saw the oh. blade vibrating, he had a thought that something was obviously making the blade vibrate and that um, he couldn't see anything. So possibly it was, it was, you know, sound that he couldn't hear infrasound. Now he wasn't the first to suggest infrasound as a, as a, uh, an influence that actually happened in 79. This was what was happening to Tandy was in 98. Um, so what he got to do with this. Well, they worked on the paper jointly. Yeah. But in fact, it was mostly Tandy. Um, Lawrence, uh, Ian Lawrence, who's still very much at Coventry University, um, was um, the one who helped get the paper sort of through the publication with the SPR and into the SPR journal. Mm. Um, So being an engineer, he realised... He, he couldn't measure the frequency of a sound that he couldn't hear, but he could measure the frequency by measuring the the length of the rapier blade, because obviously, depending upon the, the length of the blade, what was making it uh, resonate, vibrate and resonate, uh, you could you could know the frequency. Rather like Galloping Gertie, the Tahoma Narrows Bridge, uh, when the right. wind blew and it hit resonance and it shook yeah. itself to pieces. So mathematically, he calculated um, the, the, the frequency of the acoustic wave in the workshop. Um, and he got a figure of a little over 18 hertz. And he was Which looking around... Below the, hearing. Which is just below, yeah, just into the infrasound range. Um, So he looked around for likely sources and realized that this was all tied up to a brand new um, large diameter extractor fan that had been fitted to the workshop quite, uh, quite, you know, quite recently. And when they turned it off, uh, the vibration stopped, the blade stopped wobbling in the vise. And so he he then went to um, an underground um medieval cellar in the center of coventry which had a reputation for being haunted and by then he'd acquired some measuring equipment uh, that could measure sound frequency and he took some measurements and lo and behold he discovered a frequency of 18 and a little bit you know just over 18 hertz almost exactly the same frequency that he had mathematically calculated in his laboratory in his workshop i should say um, and he wrote a paper saying, this is uh, something I've, interesting I've discovered. Uh, looking at the effects of infrasound on people um, and what they report, they are very similar to haunting experiences in like, in that specifically. People feel unnerved and they feel anxious and they feel that they're being watched. And then he, he had he, he, he'd done some research and he, he uh, mentioned a NASA paper 
that uh, now this is work that NASA had done on, on early phases of the space program on astronaut performance studies, uh, specifically whether during the vib- intense vibration at launch they yeah. could read the, the the dials and gauges in the space capsule. Most people don't uh, understand that, but uh, you know when they get blasted up there, that's it's it's a unique experience to say the very least. Huge I mean, amounts of vibration. Yes. Um, but whether they could actually read the dials and gauges of, uh, of the aircraft. I mean, you know, some drivers driving over, you know, off, off road sort of, uh, rough tracks. It's very right. difficult sometimes, you know, to, to read the speedometer, um, or the dials of the, of the vehicle because, you know, you're being bounced all over the place and NASA were interested in this problem too. Phenomenal. And they, 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 um, <clears throat> they're bio physicists, um, determined that this figure at which the eyeball oscillates um, is very similar it's around eight just below 20 hertz so 18.98 was the figure that nasa used mm-hmm. <clears throat> so tandy said well perhaps what's really happening is when people see apparitions at the periphery of the vision that this infrasound is causing the eyeballs to os- oscillate and causing these phantoms to appear in the peripheral vision and he wrote the paper and parapsychology loved it. Of course they, of course they would. <laughs> um, and, and people like Joe Nickel and every parapsychologist leapt on this particular bandwagon. Um, and it was wow, trumpeted. It's novel. <laughs> yeah. And it was trumpeted as, you know, uh, science can explain ghost sightings. And, you know, every parapsychologist uh, sort of heaved a sigh of relief. Um, and, and quoted it endlessly. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, Vic Tandy died. Um, and then in 2014, mm-hmm. um, I'd been reading about his stuff and I was looking for some uh, a project for my own PhD. Yeah, I, you know, in, in all fairness, I, I knew this because after he died, he came back on an EVP and said, I was wrong. No, 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 he wasn't wrong, but just teasing. <clears throat> what, we, what reading through his notes, it was clear that, um, do the British that, have a humor, by the way? No. Um, you, you should know that we don't. <laughs> Go ahead. That's why we don't need a sense of humor. We got America for that. I know it. You we kill just, me. Just, it's like I just, throw this stuff out of you and you just, it just bounces off you. It's, like, <laughs> it's like, well, you just watch. <laughs> We just watch videotapes of your presidents. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I mean, the recent one, you know. Hey, hey, uh, hey, hey! You've got some had some beauties too, my friend. Prime may have done, so. but at least most of us can remember the name. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> I mean, you've had. I mean, you've had a demented president once before in Reagan, and now you've got you know another one. Um, and Reagan, Reagan's probably one of the greatest presidents ever. Yeah, but he had dementia too. At the end. Yeah. Well, we had Nancy. There was no problem. And yeah, he, had a, this, he had an astrology this too. New so. one, this new yeah. one looks like he's got, you know, Reagan had dementia at the end. Yeah, this he's new got, one. He's got the, uh, the vice president had to pull on the strings. Oh, uh, yeah. I thought she was building the, uh, the busy building the wall to Mexico. She's doing everything now. Anyway, I digress. Um, no, it was, it was, it, was it was clear that, that, that Vic Tandy had realized mm. that uh, he was moving away from this 18.98. 
uh, this specific, very specific, and there was even a movie um, made, you know, 18 hertz, the frequency of fear, and all the parapsychologists were jumping on this frequency of fear and 18 hertz, and mm-hmm. um, but it was clear, look, you know, that, that he was moving away from it. Uh, he was still very interested in infrasound, so sound below 20 hertz, but not necessarily focusing on one particular frequency. So um, anyway, it became my PhD, and uh, I published a paper oh, um, in the same journal that Tandy's papers in SPR, SPR journal. Okay, um, and it 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 reviews Tandy's work, and it actually says that yeah, Tandy's right to a point that infrasound is responsible for some some effects. Some effects. Yeah. Or armor, I guess, whatever. It does not cause eyeball oscillation. That's one thing that we that came really? th- came through very strongly. So how the, how would how you did you determine it does not cause eye, eyeball? Uh, well, we 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 what we did uh, one of the big experiments we did um, was that we we added we 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 borrowed Mary King's close up in Edinburgh for a week. Oh, that's a shame. Um, the, one of the most haunted locations in the whole of the UK. Um, and it has a huge number of tourists going through it on a daily basis on ghost tours. Mm-hmm. So what we were doing was randomly um, controlled by the throw of a dice. Uh, we would add more infrasound because there was already infrasound there um, mm-hmm. because it's in the middle of a city. and Right. And blah, 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 blah. So we, we would add more infrasound and we were using 18.98 hertz from two very big infrasound generators um and we were seeing we were asking people as they were leaving um whether you know did they have any experiences how many experiences did they have what sort of experiences did they have and then we put that together with whether the infrasound was whether we'd added it or whether we, you know, whether we just used the normal background infrasound. And then the, the, there'd also been an experiment, a series of experiments called silent sound where, where they added infrasound to uh, performance music um, at uh, as a series of uh, performances um, that we'd done, um, I think in the early two thousands. And then um, again, uh, with uh, with Kieran Kieran O'Keefe, uh, we 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 there were two two follow ups, and what was coming across very very clearly in the in the statistics uh, when we were looking at the data is that infrasound doesn't affect everybody; um, it only affects about one third of the population. Hmm. Um, it's, that's very clear. I mean that. That was way above, you know, statistical probabilities. This was a significant, you know, statistical result. Right. Um, but out of all of those, so if you add more infrasound, a third, a third of the people um, will report more unusual experiences, which yeah. if they're in a haunted place, they will attribute to the paranormal. Right. However, out of over... 460 something people no visual apparitions no visual phenomena at all um every other every every other sort you know uh felt warmer colder didn't like it 
felt yeah. scared, felt anxious, felt nervous, felt I was being comfortable here. Yeah, all of those, not. I think there was one uh, that was that that could have been sort of um, attributed to a visual phenomena, um, and that 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 was the same with the other data too. We didn't see any visual phenomena at all. Um, no cloudy vision, no blurriness. So that's why you ruled out the. So the we could rule eye. that out. What we, all, what we also discovered is that the frequency itself, this eighteen point nine eight. Now it was already clear that Tandy had move, was moving away from this before he passed away. Um, that one, if you play the human brain or the human ear, one frequency um, for a few. Uh, for about a minute, your brain will stop hearing it. It nulls it out. Um, right. It's a trick. My father used to do that to my mother all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if, 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 if you constantly use one frequency, so if you use 18.98 here, the brain will just block it and, and cease to be you know, bothered by it anymore. Um, but if you continually change the frequency or you provide a lot of... Um, different frequencies the brain can't deal with that and so that the effect is stronger so what we found is that if we i if we if we move the frequency a couple of hertz up and down so 18 to 14 back to 18 down to 16 sort of a fairly random sweep over a small range that had a much more unnerving effect but the most unnerving effect, well, that was the most unnerving effect. Second to that was the best way to describe it is uh, infrasonic white noise. So you would you would use all of the uh, frequencies from one hertz to 20 hertz and hit, use them all simultaneously at the same amplitude. Mm. Um, the ear can't hear it, but the brain can't f- deal with it. Um, and so that 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 affects a lot of people. Um, now when you measure the infrasound when you look at the infrasound uh, at Mary King's Close or in your home office or here or you know in the middle of the countryside what you what you never see is one frequency you always see bands of frequencies um, and it's the same when you look at the frequency spectrum of audible sound you don't see one particular frequency you see lots of frequencies and it's the same below 20 hertz. There's no difference. And that's why, you know, in, infrasound does cause an increase in the number of people reporting unusual uh, sensations. Right. Uh, if, that, if, there, if there are other things present, like they're in a haunted place or somebody's reinforcing these, the idea that these, haunt, these unusual sensations are paranormal. You have a medium there. Yeah, you, know, you have a medium there. Or, you, or they're on a ghost hunt. Or oh, it's yeah. dark. Yeah. Um, but only a third of the population are affected. So you do get this. I don't know what's the matter with them. They've been feeling. And, you know, you go to haunted locations. We, I, I went to one called it's a, an old war, an old leftover Cold War uh, okay. underground armored bunker yeah. that could, you know, is built to take a direct nuclear hit. Um, and it had uh, these sort of very long um, air tubes like passageways that led back to the surface and there were very particular spots where people you know it, it was always in doorways and interestingly the, the coventry cellar uh, that vic originally used and i visited too and taken measurements there um 
has this very long passageway leading off an enclosed box. Now, think of it like a, a it's called, the technical term is a Helmholtz resonator. Um, and people go, oh, it's one of them. Well, do you remember when you blow over the top of a soda bottle? Right. And it makes that woo noise. Well, just scale it up and you end up with an infrasound generator. And if you put, you know, a, an enclosed box with a long passageway and air moves along it, you end up with a Helmholtz resonator, a large soda bottle with somebody blowing across the end of it. Um, and that's, you know, you see it. You, you go into these places and they say, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that doorway there. Um, I don't like that. And if you if you measure the infrasound there, you'll find that they're on the edge of a standing wave. Right. But the important thing, I think, in, in, in any of this is you do have to measure. You can't just say just because we have this association that it's automatically infrasound. Oh, God, no. You can't. I mean, it, it could be anything. Right. Uh, well, I mean, without, you get Joe Nichols or something, yeah. and that's exactly how he identifies everything. I mean, well, you know, I'm afraid when, that you know that that sort of approach is one of, is the approach of an idiot. Uh, yeah, I mean, the same with the EMF experiments that they did. Yeah, you know, it's idiotic. They, yeah, absolutely idiotic. If you're going to, uh, you know, there have been a number of occasions when I have been asked to go in my role as a you know an infrasound expert now, apparently. Um, to go and consider, you know, so you look at the range of experiences and sometimes you can look at them and go, none of those are really much connected with infrasound. Um, but you, you see others and you think I'm looking at the signature of, you know, yeah. infrasound exposure, but uh, so I can say that I can say, you yeah, say it, yeah, it has all likely the, uh, or it looks yeah. unlikely now yeah. in order to be able to to be to go beyond it's likely or it's unlikely um one would have to and i do take along the infrasound measuring equipment and measure the the frequency of the infrasound and the amplitude of the infrasound um and then you can say with certainty now interestingly during the research i did because it has always been incredibly difficult and expensive to measure infrasound the reason for that is that sound equipment um, is designed for the human ear and one of the things that sound engineers and sound equipment hates is something called rumble um, and i'm sure you know our producer here would know i mean here's rumble that low frequency sound caused by air moving over a microphone and if you look at the specifications of sound cards and sound devices they all have filtering that cuts off below 20 hertz to get rid of this annoying wind noise, this rumble and this vibration that gets into the ruins your, your, your hi-fi recordings. Um, and so equipment that's, that, that's designed to, you know, it's, there isn't a lot of it. It's only made for specialist applications like airport monitoring or earthquakes or seismic re, um, was traditionally very expensive it's come down in price now because of solid state technology um, however what we what i did i did discover is that you can do infrasound uh, assessments but not measurements using any sound level meter or even your smartphone really and um that that's included in the original SPR paper as an appendix, but it's also in paracoustics as a as a, a chapter. 
which um, if you don't know paracoustic <laughs> it's steve's book that he wrote on the infrasound so has it, well it's, it has an entire chapter on infrasound um yeah. and, and several appendices and the original paper from the spr journal is is an appendix but but if you want to um you can't measure it not without different more expensive equipment but if you want to assess whether infrasound is a potential candidate in your haunting and you have an iphone and it's better it's it's more recent than the iphone 5 you can um do some very very simple measurements that will take you less than two three minutes and you can determine whether there is infrasound there won't tell you how much there is or what frequency but you'll know it's it's a potential that you need to consider mm-hmm. um you can also i mean you can measure infrasound in in several ways like <clears throat> let's go back to galloping gertie again um the tahoma narrows bridge Sorry. is that what you call a galloping gertie <laughs> well that's what that's what you americans called no tacoma narrows bridge galloping gertie oh that's what it was called before it felt there was a newspaper headline it talks about the tacoma narrows bridge and it, they called it galloping gertie because when the I've wind never blew, heard became, it before became and a I, tourist I attraction well aware of the the bridge since yeah. high school for god's yeah. sake seen the videos seen everything on that well I, that that event actually you know the, the reason there was a there was a movie camera there um was because it was so famous people would uh, we had the millennium bridge in london did it as well um and people would travel to watch the bridge which they nicknamed galloping gertie uh, because when the when it was a i think it was a westerly wind blew uh the bridge would would start to shimmy and shake mm-hmm. anyway to go back to that and then to what i was saying um is that of course there what you've got sound is uh, created by changes in in air pressure which is air movement so whenever air moves it creates sound now sometimes you can't hear the sound because it either you you don't hear the wind until it blows past your ear um but it has a sound it's an infrasonic sound which is why you don't hear it um but whenever that moving air bumps against the solid surface it causes that surface to also move mm-hmm. so you can measure infrasound um it by measuring surface vibration and of course surface vibration also causes the air immediately above the surface to vibrate too so that's you know think of an acu- uh, a guitar string or a drum skin resonate yeah yeah um and that's why you hear the sound so you can actually use uh sensitive uh, vibration sensing software and lo and behold one of the most sensitive current pieces of technology that you can get your hands on at an affordable price is already built into your smartphone the accelerometer in your smartphone um, whether it's an iphone or an android it really matters not one jot is so sensitive that it's actually used by uh, the u.s geological survey who for decades had, had covered um, the united states in very sensitive seismometers and telemetry systems and then realized somebody realized that basically if you bolted the smartphone an apple iphone in fact they used uh, to a concrete and steel plinth and connected it to the cellular network you had a very powerful seismometer mm-hmm. 
Well, speaking of my size, Mara, we got to run it up. We got to end it now. Okay. So, yeah, you should go. You should, if you want to go ghost hunting, take an iPhone. There you go. So, anyways, uh, we want to thank you for listening today. And I want to give a shout out to uh, Dr. Cal Cooper, who has agreed to supervise me and uh, some field work I'm going to be doing this summer. So, uh, I want to thank you for that in advance. And we want to thank all floating around in a bowl of soup. No, no, this is far beyond that. Deep, deep stuff. Anyways, uh, I want to thank uh, you know, today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Glant Messier Family Law Group. Did you have 15... to give him his shirt back in order for him to agree? No, 15 <laughs> High Street, not the end of Massachusetts, although just I just wondering. made. Put the shirt off the man's back. I just may. Anyway. Anyways, and uh, <laughs> also our very good friends on Patreon. Well, fit him now, you know. He's put on a couple of pounds. Has he really? Oh, I definitely want to get it back to him now so we can <laughs> put it up on his belly. He'll look like one of those guys on... Uh, It'll be the oh, incredible. You ever, see that, you ever see the comedian with the puppets? Uh, uh, what the heck's many. his name? There are many. Jeff Dunham. He does, uh, yeah, the, the terrorist one. Uh, oh, um, Akma. Yeah, yeah, I know the one. Yeah, well, he's got Bubba, and Bubba's got a T-shirt that goes up over his belly because <laughs> he's a redneck, so that will be Cal. So, anyway, Jeff Dunham, that's is our, even our host says that. There you go. Anyways, Apologies to uh, all rednecks listening to the show. I love rednecks. Yeah, I couldn't eat the whole one. I, well, I don't know. <laughs> there we are. Survived another show. Country country western is the, the heart of America. Yeah. So, there you go. Anyway, we do have, have to, to learn go. to line dance for next That time guy went to his high school. He went to Roy's high school. I don't believe that. Hey, wow. There you go. Did, did he come back and do hey, shows? Hey, I was you? reading about the Taylor, the Tyler Poltergeist. Very famous haunting back in the early 20th century. Oh, we got to go. Damn, we didn't even get to Yurik Curley and his, his uh, freeing of the uh, boat in the uh, canal. Anyway, oh, well, oh, good night, yeah. everyone. God bless and uh, stay safe. Good night. Stay April, safe. April Fool's. The whole show's been an April Fool. Yeah. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night, deliver us good law.